into the zeitgeist. The comedic research podcast is funded by you. Thank you. If you want to learn how to support the show, go to patreon.com slash WDM1. Hello and hi. Welcome to Into the Zeitgeist. My name is David Waters, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Shannon, the drop the ball. <laughs> Did you even look at that before the episode? <laughs> I'm glad I put something in there. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm glad you did. This, this episode's going to be interesting, I think. Um, don't, you, don't you agree, Shannon? Yeah, I'm, I'm really not excited, but um, it's important that we do this one. Yeah. So, for the uninitiated into the zeitgeist is our bi-weekly comedic research podcast where we explore touchstones of the past and drag them back up to be talked about and show like that. Uh, if you want to show your support for the UM... Or, oh my gosh, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to show your support for Into the Zeitgeist, uh, consider following our Patreon at patreon.com slash WDM1. That's where you can get episodes two days early. You can get a bonus monthly episode. And you'll also get producer credits depending on the level that you subscribe to. Also, consider checking out our Facebook and Instagram pages to see when new episodes go live. But Shannon, I think we're going to start off here really quick today. Let's get into purging our sins. Okay. I think it is your week. It is. And so I'll just go back to David's reference, my nickname for the day, Drop the Ball. Um. So David and I have mentioned before, we both work in higher education, and I think partly because of that and partly because of just our interests generally, um, we both tend to keep up with things going on in the world when you agree, current events, so to speak. Here and there. Here and there, yeah. Whenever I walk into... uh... Uh, our office. I always see the short. It's called the short horn there. UTA. Ooh, fancy! Oh, that's a newspaper name. Yeah. The short horn. I always have this girl who always stops by. It's like, yeah, well, I'm here for the short horn. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, I can't work there. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. So, um. My sin uh, very much involves that side of my life. So for the past couple of weeks, um, one, we're, this isn't what today's episode is about, but um, have you seen the tensions going on between Russia and Ukraine? I have. I haven't, I haven't really thought too much about it, honestly, because... Oh. One, it's kind of good for me to, like, avoid the news and not be anxious. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure some of our audience can, I don't know, uh, sympathize with that. So, Yeah, and I'm not going to lie. Most of what I know about that uh, has come from Vice. <laughs> <laughs> they are so amazing at taking news stories and condensing them and making them palatable. And, you know, seven minutes, I can handle that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Like, this guy who 
Hamil Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia or something. Yeah. Pharmacology. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. Pharma something. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. I, I really enjoy Vice as well because you are right. They do, they do, just kind of in a nice tiny package. I get the facts, nothing else. Exactly. Transition zones here and there, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> Vice, please support us. So, anyways, um, uh, but real quick before I move on, you brought up that. Uh, show I forget Hamilton something I know if you go to like the main vice page his videos are all stored like in one thing you can watch them all it's really easy and one of the episodes I think it's in Denton Texas where David and I yeah. wander <laughs> yeah yeah you gotta check that out anyways so that's been going on in the world and that has sort of distracted me Um, and then the other thing that happened was just a little over two weeks ago from when we're recording now on January 15th, there was um, a hostage situation at a synagogue local to us. It actually happened in Colleyville, Texas, which is just right in our backyard. Um, and when this happened, it just caught my attention, and I'm going to kind of lead into that story in today's episode, but as far as this thing goes, y'all, this episode was supposed to be about got milk, and I promise we have the milk. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> but I just, this situation happened, and I'm going to kind of talk about my connections with what happened, how... I sort of started encountering it, kept up with it, um, and just sort of what my takeaway has been from that. And I think um, even though this episode will come out about a, a what, like three-ish weeks after this occurred, um, this whole situation and the crux of the situation is very much in the zeitgeist in a way that I think people are perhaps apprehensive of talking about. And I think that David and I are in privileged positions where we don't necessarily directly identify with the groups involved, but we have had experiences that allow us to kind of have an outside perspective on it that I think um, is an important conversation to have because more of us who are in these situations should be having these conversations. And so, yeah, my sin is this episode was supposed to be about got milk, but you know what? Don't cry over spilled milk. It'll come. <laughs> Perhaps drink oat milk or, um, dairy alternative <laughs> that's my forewarning <laughs> you know lately i've been on the almond milk train really yeah like almond milk isn't great for the environment from what i've heard oh. from my understanding that's not what our god milk episode is going to be about so if you want to call me out on that like feel free to but i'm pretty sure almond milk is not great for the environment but it does taste good <laughs> and I think it tastes better than regular milk, honestly. honestly. <laughs> Have you had like the flavored almond milks? Like, not. yeah, I don't know. I just had one that was like vanilla flavored, and it was good. <laughs> Are they? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but milk isn't like vanilla. I wonder now now I'm curious what just regular almond milk taste like. Like I don't even know how almond milk is made, honestly. Do almonds have milk in them? I think they crush it. I think they like add water to it and then they crush it. Okay. Whatever that residual you can cut this out if you want. I'm genuinely just curious if someone knows how almond milk is made. <laughs> Next time. I'm going to purge a little minis in here. Whole milk is my favorite milk. And everybody just does not agree with me. I actually love whole milk, but it's just I've read over and over and over again that whole milk is like not the good milk for you. I, I, isn't vitamin E milk? Isn't that the best one? Doesn't all milk have vitamin E in it? I so. I'm realizing now that gut milk has very much been about the campaign and not about milk proper. <laughs> but yeah, milk. Milk is yeah, milk is not what we're talking about. It's time. But now I, you just made me think that the food pyramid should really just be like a vitamin pyramid. <laughs> I know. Remind me to bring that up next time. <laughs> I think you go off on another. We have like a whole nother. Like, we have a vitamin cabinet <laughs> where we keep all of our vitamins in there. Nice. I personally never take a lot of them. Um, I think there's like, I think I take vitamin D on occasion, one of them. Yeah. You know, but other than that. <laughs> I mean, I, I take like, yeah. I, what do you take? I take like just like a daily, like a multi daily gummy oh. vitamin. I don't really like, um, like s- swallow vitamins, I like the chewy kind. <laughs> yeah, or they have like yummy ones for adults now too. Really? <gasps> That's intriguing. One time, like I guess it must have been sitting there for a while, fucking time. Because this bitch, like, melted and then made, like, an amorphous, like, just bottle-shaped vitamin gummy. Oh, my gosh. Was this, like, in the store? No, no. no. <laughs> oh, you had, like... <laughs> it was in the bathroom, obviously. It was in our cabinet. Yeah. And I think maybe just the heat. Yeah. It's just like, here you go. And I was just like, oh, I don't want to eat this anymore. <laughs> just, like, take a bite out of it. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that either. <laughs> but um, you know, we're we're having this um lighthearted conversation and 
Today's episode is probably heavier than um, any of our previous episodes have been, so I do just want to, um, I just now thought of this too, but to uh, just kind of give like a slight trigger warning, um, we are talking today about the Texas synagogue hostage situation. I think I briefly just mentioned that. This happened on January 15th in Colleyville, Texas, and um, this did happen at a synagogue um, a Muslim man was involved. There were police SWAT teams. So the story does involve violence, um, prejudice. Um, there's a lot of rough topics. So I do just kind of want to put that out there. If that isn't something, you know, I know that the past couple of years have been tough. And if that's something hard for you to hear, maybe wait for our Got Milk episode, which clearly is banned to be much lighter. <laughs> um but yeah so um since we are talking about this i kind of gave david a little heads up earlier for reminiscing rewind um because this situation itself is so fresh granted by the time we're um this episode comes out i personally um have checked up on this story every day since it happened um and so today is the 26th i think <laughs> um and so as of like today and yesterday i hadn't encountered any like fresh news stories about this um most of the ones i found were from the two weeks leading up to this and um, and so because of that um, that's also part of why I was just very adamant we do this episode because I'm concerned that the conversation will be dropped and people will move on too quickly in a way that um, while I do think it is important that, you know, we make reparations, we try to come together as communities, as people, it's still important that we analyze what happened here because there's a lot of nuance and I think that if you didn't keep up with the story from right when it started throughout the whole day um that potentially affects your perspective of which narrative you're going to believe um in our show notes you'll see all kinds of different video links from um local news sites um, and those are from across the board so and that was because through I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over the place. I don't want to get too far ahead. But in order to get as much information as I could about what was going on, it took going to MSNBC, Fox, CNN, and then even local news stations for us like CBS, NBC. And it, it just took putting all of that together to actually get the full story. And if that at the end of the day doesn't tell you what's wrong with our media in America, and, um, you know, that's, it's just really a problem that's driving these other problems, I think. Yeah, with, whenever you sent me all the, or, you know, you, you had done the research and I was going over it, and I watched a lot of those videos that you had posted in there, and that will be in the show notes for the audience to go and watch. It was a lot of, like, local television or even... It, the CNN is, is an interesting aspect in itself because I consider them to be like a, I don't know, a high tiered local 
neutral kind of source. It's it's weird to it's weird how to describe CNN in that fashion, but nonetheless, yeah, you are right. Like MSNBC, NBC, um, what's what's the other ones? Fox, uh, yeah, all the all the big big names or whatever, and it was a whole bunch of like hearsay and, and things like that and I hate, I hate that type of reporting because it's just like giving you the facts of what happened and not actually like saying like why it happened or whatever well and we're gonna get to that but the way that this whole thing played out is the reason why those videos are the way that they are so um we're gonna talk more about that but before we do I do um uh, sorry, this is where I was going a long time ago. Um, I, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what David and I know about the history between Muslim people and Jewish people. And um, for me, the actual conflict itself, I don't really identify as a religious person. I went to church as a kid here and there. My parents didn't force me to go. It was a very optional thing. So religious conflicts aren't really something that are in my wheelhouse so i have to be honest and say um this was also very much a growing moment for me and trying to understand the why that david kind of just alluded to um because as i'll tell the story in a little bit it the why just wasn't there and we are gonna point to what i think is the answer to that but before we do, I just think this, um, I'll just go ahead and say this crime was labeled by the, or this incident, I should say, was labeled by the FBI as a hate crime and an act of terror. And because of those two um, sort of, what's a good word for that? Like affiliates, I guess, yeah. with the situation, Um we, I just wanted to talk a little bit about these religious factors between the groups. Um, I, I have some information here that I had to research, but David, do you just kind of want to start with what you know, or you can read what I have? I don't really. Yeah, there, you know, I was a history major in college, and um, a lot of the goings ons of, you know, I, I had a current events class that we talked about it quite a bit. And, uh, you know, throughout history, there's so many holy wars that it's like hard to count how many holy wars. Right. And, but I guess at a base level for our conversation, um, like back in 1948, like the state of Israel was declared. And that's kind of. Oh, wow. That's kind of like after, after World War II had ended. Like, yeah, I didn't realize it took that long. Um, Jewish people, like land or or like reparations. Yeah. And it was uh, shortly after its Declaration of Independence that the Arab states declared war on Israel, that area, um, just because that's what's considered their holy land. Right, okay. So this is why Israel, Israeli-Palestinian conflict kind of... And this literally just occurred to me while you were saying that, but wasn't it just last year, 2021, where Jerusalem was, like, made by Trump the capital of Israel? Yeah. 
So I'm sure that that also potentially would factor into that sort of conflict. Since then, since 48, it's been back and forth, back and forth between the two. Um, so like, I'm sure you've heard the term Gaza Strip. Right. All the time. And that's like probably the most contested area of land probably in the world, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really, you know, back and forth between the two trying to get access to their holy land, so to speak. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and from what I found, that very much seems to be with, like, what scholars have said as well. And um, for me, it's very difficult for me to wrap my mind around these sort of conflicts over holy land because I'm just like, that is a piece of land, but I feel like that's such a Western sort of way of thinking. Like I'm in America, like there's not just like claimed holy lands here. I mean, sure, we've built over them already because we're assholes, but but I I mean, I was thinking of like tribes, like native tribes and things like that. Um so certainly we have, you know, built over over those and um, there is a whole history of genocide there that should definitely be observed and acknowledged. But I think at the same time, so many people um, on, in America, in our hemisphere, so to speak, are so just kind of out of sight, out of mind from these like holy sites that like we're so disconnected from the thought process so part of me is like just really trying to see their perspectives so like i'm trying to picture like if you are born in israel and you grow up there and you're jewish um you know it makes sense to me that like it's being instilled in you from birth that this is a holy land it's meant to be protected you know um um, the Holocaust happened, so, you know, kind of protecting the sentimentality of Judaism seems very important. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a huge, huge historical event, so, yeah, wouldn't you want to? I mean, we have so many Holocaust museums, it's um, crazy. Yeah, so, so what I found and what I read are very similar to what you said. Several religious factors pertinent to Islam and Judaism dictate the role of religion as the main factor in their conflict, um, notably including the sanctity of holy sites and the apocalyptic narratives of both religions, which I also thought was interesting to think about, um, and how these ideas are detrimental to any potential for lasting peace between the two sides. Um, but what the um, article I read also pointed out is the sort of religious ideologies that are to the extreme are are propagated by extremists in the media and social media. Um, and it sort of like reveals the sort of underlying hidden agendas of each side um, of extremists on each side. I should say there are definitely people who are in these groups who are not extremists. Um and I, I feel like that is the majority when you say, like, extremists are just the ones we hear about because, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so then I also read that 
worsening socioeconomic conditions in the Arab and Islamic world um, contribute to the growth of religious radicalism, which also makes sense. Um, you know, if you feel desolate, you're going to want to cling to the thing that gives you hope. Um, and s- <clears throat> yeah, and so this pushes youth towards this idea of, um, you know, being motivated by religion and wanting to, um, you know, be be a part of the cause. Right, right. Yeah, no, this is a, it's it's a big, this whole Israeli-Muslim conflict, it, it really, it's so deep-rooted in history and, and I'm trying to find the word for it specifically, but like, even different ideologies within yes the religion itself exactly side it's see and this is why we're I guess why Shane and I are being so trepidatious in our wording is because of these different viewpoints exactly and so to know that we'll be exploring that at least in a microcosm then I'm glad we could provide that to y'all because uh, I think it's, it is important. Like Shane said, it's very current news, and that's something that we've wanted to do with the podcast is, is get a little current, current uh, something going on, and I think this is a perfect one to start off on. Yeah, and so um, I actually haven't told David this yet, but um, I'm kind of going to launch into how this whole thing got started here. So... Saturday, January 15th, I actually had to work that day. Um, and so I worked from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Um, but I tried to get to work, um, on time or early. <laughs> and when I first get to work, the first thing I do is I will check Reddit because I want to make sure I at least have a general idea of what's going on in the world. Because again, it just goes back to what's going on in the world impacts my students and So I need to at least have, like, a brief idea of what's happening. I need to make sure Russia hasn't started war. I need to, you know, keep up with, you know, I don't know, who's in space, who's going to space. I don't know. That's Those are really kind of dumb examples. But, um... Um, but yeah, but Reddit has tons of news. I'll just go to their news section and I guess, I don't know if it's just because I click certain things so often it is catering to me. So it'll show me things that are happening in the world, but also in Texas. But I think that when this, um, hostage situation first started and it just kind of caught everybody in the U.S. off guard. So it, it sort of blew up pretty quick. And so um, it didn't start early that early in the morning. It started a little later when I first saw it and read about it. I couldn't give you the exact time, but I'm sure it's out there. Um, <clears throat> But I opened it and I read the story. And before I go into exactly what happened, I read that a synagogue in Colleyville, Texas had been um, taken hostage, I guess. I'm not even... I'm going to use a lot of language that I don't like using because it's the only language I have to describe what exactly happened. But I think once we start talking more about this, you'll see why I'm not the biggest fan 
of some of the terms and language that was used throughout this whole ordeal. And that, for me, just speaks to part of, like, why this story interests me. And it's very close to my heart because when I was in college, a freshman in college, I lived in the dorms. And my RA actually lived, which is like your, I don't know, what you'd call that kind of like your dorm babysitter i guess they even keep you online <laughs> yeah she lived right next to me and she um at the time was dating a man who was in a fraternity on our campus called ae pi and they um were a jewish fraternity i know they still exist i don't know if they have the same name or not um but living right next to her i met him I would often go to their parties. I knew tons of these people involved. They were some of the kindest people I ever met in college. They definitely made my college time top notch. Um, thanks to those people who were in that fraternity. Um, the year after I moved out of the dorm, I actually lived with my RA. And so, um, the relationship with that community just continued to grow for me. Um, her name was McKinsey, McKinsey, I can't remember, Thompson, what's her last name at the time? She's since married, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember her name, I remember Yeah, yeah. Not often, but, you know, back in college, uh, we were both, um, in our studies. Yeah, and, yeah, and your, well, yeah, oh, actually, I think you may have met her when you came to the house we lived at. Long time ago. <laughs> long, long time ago, David came over and we watched Django Unchanged. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I think you may have even met uh, Evan, who was in A Pie, and everyone said he looked like Jonah Hill. <laughs> You do kind of look like Jenna Hill. <laughs> okay, yeah, I could see both. Um, anyway, sorry. I need to tell you something later. Um, anyways, so um, to me, that really opened my eyes to, um, like, I learned about how they would go to this thing called, like, Panhellenic, and that was, like, a whole group thing, and... Um, I, I just learned a lot about the culture and their community through those experiences. Um, and so I, I'm going to be honest, I probably wouldn't have known anything about Judaism aside from like what I learned learning about the Holocaust if it hadn't been for that. And I do think that sometimes that is kind of the case where you do just sort of associate Judaism with the Holocaust and that is kind of dangerous in and of itself. Um because exactly and that's not right because they're they the i think you know if i was gonna subscribe to a religion it would probably be judaism i think they got a lot of things figured out probably not like the hasidic kind <laughs> but you know i i i have a a respect for people who are so dedicated to something and yet are still kind and accepting of others. Um, I, I have a lot of respect for that. And so with that being said, 
Same thing um, when it comes to uh, the Muslim community, which, as David mentioned earlier, there's several different sects. Um, sorry, that sounds like I said sex, but I'm trying to say sex. <laughs> um, uh, and so uh, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I know you've never met my friends. Uh, I'm not going to say her name. I'm sorry. But um, I have a close friend. David's never met her, but she's one of my best friends in the whole world. She'll be my maid of honor in my wedding. Um, and she is Muslim. And so from her, I feel like I have learned so much about Islam that I never knew. Um, and again, I, I, I really it's so oddly fascinating that these two religions have these extreme members when at the heart of both of them just seems to be the concept and ideal of peace <laughs> sure yeah and so then that's kind of what this all comes back to and that's not to say that christianity that that's a whole other beast that <laughs> um but so i have some notes here about what happened so if i start to sound repetitive in a little bit it's because i wanted to start um this story with like i said it was saturday i was at work i stumbled onto it i read as much as i could and then as soon as i got home it was around one um, I immediately was just like on YouTube refreshing it over and over and over again. Like, what is going on here? Um, and I think it wasn't until I, I'll probably say the time later, but it wasn't until later in the early evening that, um, oh my gosh, I am jumping way ahead. I was about to start talking to y'all about like a hostage getting freed and you're like, why are they even a hostage? Let me back up. So Saturday morning on January 15th, um, a Muslim man uh, whose full name is Malik Faisal Akram. And the reason I use the disclaimer Muslim is, again, this just comes back to um, sort of the labels that are placed on what happened. And um, he entered a synagogue with the intent to hold it hostage and when he entered the synagogue on Saturday morning, um, Saturday is the Sabbath. Is that what you told me it's called? Um, which I probably should have known. But um, uh, so it's like they're having their religious Saturday meeting morning. I don't know what you call it. Meeting group congregation service. Um, and because of COVID, they had started live streaming their services. And so the, the, um, Malik Akram goes into the synagogue and, um, almost immediately, um, people who are watching the live stream, um, start expressing concerns, start calling police. And he came in, um, originally he had a gun. He made several different threats initially. But then what ended up happening was he somehow let most of the congregation go and only held four hostages. And, and one of the hostages was the actual rabbi giving the service that day. His name was Charlie. I'm probably going to mess this up. So sorry. Charlie C Citron Walker. Um, 
And then there was also some guy who was like the vice president of some group for the synagogue. And I believe his name was Jeffrey Cohen. And, and he was also one of the hostages. And then there were two others. I searched and searched and searched and I could not find their names. And the two particular people I mentioned, um, both gave interviews to multiple news outlets. So that's how I was kind of able to get some information from and about them. Um, so. <clears throat> Basically, I have the names of three major characters. I don't have the names of two of the hostages. And so he takes these four people. Malik Akram takes these four people, I'm assuming, to like some kind of other room um, and let like the rest of the congregation go or they got out. I'm not entirely sure how that worked out. There wasn't a lot of information about that throughout the day either. And um, there's sort of a lot of holes in this story that I feel like haven't quite been filled in yet. And I'm sure as this, well, I'm not sure, actually, because like I said, I haven't seen a lot of new articles or information about this incident. But I would hope that eventually more and more information will be explored and will come out. And so, and I'm hoping um, the other two hostages are maybe eventually willing to share their perspective or share their stories. I'm sure that this was an incredibly traumatizing situation, but I also think um, having an accurate idea of what happened is important. And I say that again, I'm so sorry. Y'all. I just uh, feel like I'm using clarifier after clarifier, but I just don't want to be misconstrued or misunderstood and I'm not taking sides here or anything like that. I do have an opinion on what happened, but um, I just, I don't know. I don't want to, like, make anyone mad. <laughs> and, that's, and that's always the concern whenever we get into topics like these is um, we don't, we, we're not here to persecute. Um, exactly. And people in the past have done that. They do it, you know. Um, you know, Israelites and Muslims do it themselves to each other. Sure. You know, we don't want to be a part of that, and we're we're trying to give you all the facts. And uh, I think that's what Shannon's point is. Um, we want to give you all the facts, and not necessarily be caught up in the. Um, I'm not sure exactly what I would say there. It's 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 like a spectacle. Yeah, yeah, it's good because it is a merry-go-round. With, at least, with yes, the, the news stations or whatever, it does feel like a merry-go-round sometimes. With just because um, one one site can pick up a piece of information that, for example, CNN didn't have, and they're like, "Oh shit, we got to report on this." Yes, it's an exclusive. Blah blah blah. Here's, here's what. Here's like a few words that this gentleman had said in this hostage negotiation, or yes, or whatever. And that I think that's where news. I don't think that news goes wrong. Actually, I do think that's where news goes wrong. Um, it's kind of like a big game of telephone. Yes. Oh my gosh. And doing that, we don't want to amplify those negative voices. We just want we want the facts. That's what I'm here about, at least.
Exactly. Okay. So I want to kind of circle back. I'm really glad you said all of that because, and I think that'll be kind of the problem. I'm really going to try and tell this story from how I saw it play out. But like David said, the news was jumping all over. So it's like this whole story jumps all over. And so I just apologize in advance for that. Um, so to circle back, uh, to the live stream. So from my understanding, um, audiences heard, um, Akram, the, uh, guy who would ultimately hold four people hostage. They heard him, um, sort of say anti-Semitic, uh, slurs. Um, they heard him say, uh, just all kinds of different threats. They heard him say that they were going to threaten he was going to threaten to take these hostages he was threatening to um kill jewish people he uh kind of just goes on this sort of tirade um and so legitimately these hostages were very scared and the people watching this live stream were very scared my understanding is once it was just the hostage taker and the hostages the live stream was cut off and um, I don't know if that's true. I tried to find the live stream. I searched and searched for it, but I couldn't find it. And part of me is also kind of like, we don't know if I want to watch that. That seems um sort of like indulging in someone else's trauma, which um I'm not trying to do. Um And when I say I wanted those other hostages perspectives, again, you'll understand why as I continue on here. So... They're held hostage for, like, all day long. <laughs> um, but then, um, and so, sorry, we're going to start jumping around already. So, if you watch videos from the rabbi or Jeffrey Cohen, both of them appear to be pretty open about what happened. Um, and so, the rabbi says, um, in, in one of the videos linked in our show notes, I'm, I'm almost certain I got this one. He says that there were these long, like long periods of just like up and down with, um, Akram, the hostage taker, where he would just sort of be like, you know what? Um, you, you all don't need to die. Like only I need to die. Like only I need to be a martyr. Basically he, um, his first demand was to speak to, um, a prominent rabbi in New York. Um, authorities speculate that he actually chose, um, the particular synagogue in Texas to hold hostages because it is the, um, synagogue closest to a prison where, um, I don't think prominence is the right word, but, um, this particular person and I'm not gonna name her here but she um was a Pakistani neuroscientist who became a terrorist I'm not exactly oh um she was convicted in federal court in 2010 for trying to kill American soldiers in Afghanistan and other terroristic events um I don't know much else about this person but um Yeah, sorry, you can say her name. The FBI agent didn't say her name, so I wasn't going to either. <laughs> um, it's only because I heard it on the, the news programs that I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, but so he, he, uh, so it was speculated that this, well, 
that well so it was speculated they chose this location because it was the closest one to her he did um talk to he ended up getting to speak with the prominent rabbi in new york and he told the rabbi that he wanted the freedom of this uh prisoner um who's a terrorist i i don't know i just feel like those words are so weird i'm not even 100 percent sure like what it takes to be labeled a terrorist but i just feel like they're to get that label involves a lot of brainwashing and you won't be able to convince me otherwise so i i while i don't think that anyone who has intention to harm others is a good person i don't necessarily think they're inherently evil um so i just want to say that um so that's sort of why this ended up going down in texas do you have any questions about that david <laughs> okay Collinville's like squished in between dallas and fort worth right yeah yeah it's that it was like 34 miles or something away from the prison that yeah he was being kept in or whatever yeah and yeah like you said that's the reason they chose that particular location which is I didn't realize that he had called the like somebody in New York. I didn't know that until just a few days ago. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting the sequence of events. So I don't. I don't want to stop you, but uh, yeah. So um, at at some point throughout the day, and this is weird too, because if you watch, I believe it's like a Good Morning America video about it. Um. And then watch, I believe it's the Jeffrey Cohen interview. Um, this sort of idea gets tangled. But what I feel like potentially happened based on the videos that I watched, because you can't really find like a clear cut and dry. This is what happened. You kind of just have to put it all together for yourself. So I think what initially happened is a plan for food was created like around um, a plan to get the hostages and hostage taker food was initiated like around the early evening. Like I want to say they said it was like five or six. Um, and so when this was happening, um, they managed to negotiate the release of one of the hostages. Um, I don't think I noted this earlier, but all of the hostages were adults and um, they weren't children, so that's also why I'm like, why aren't we able to know their names? Why aren't we hearing from them? What are their thoughts on what happened? I'm just really curious. Um, but the rabbi and uh, Cohen were not the one who got to walk away. Um, so then around 9 p.m., or oh, probably a little bit before 9, um, it was probably like 7 or 8. They got a pizza for the hostages and the hostage taker. I'm not exactly sure how that was brought inside, but um, the pizza's brought in. They and the hostage taker just lets them like eat the pizza, and he starts eating the pizza too. And I'm just like, and so you'll you'll see videos where the rab like I said, the rabbi's like this guy's attitude was just like up and down and he'd be like, you know, I'm the only one who needs to be a martyr for like several hours before he would just kind of flip. And the rabbi even says, like in one of his videos, he's like, Yeah, it was pretty clear that this guy had mental health issues. Like, 
I'm just like, as soon as he said that, I was like, what the hell? Like, I'm. Yes. Yes. And so at some point, um, uh, so initially local Colleyville police are called. They alert their surrounding like partner departments who also come out. Um, they alert Washington, D.C. They send out initially their hostage negotiation team and then they send out their hostage rescue team. Um, so all these different police elements get involved. Um, and sorry, I kind of forgot where I was going. Oh, you good. <clears throat> you good. We had, there's a lot of, a lot of info here. Yeah. And so there's all these people involved throughout, like I said, throughout the day, the guy's up down. Um, he has a mental health problem. Okay. This is where I was going with this. So, um, at one point, the guy refers to um, the terrorist who's being held in prison. He he says something along the lines of, like, my sister and I are going to die for the cause. Those were not his exact words whatsoever. But basically, he refers to the prisoner he's trying to get freed as his sister. So that is reported on the news. And this guy is, like, m- meaning, like, sister. Yes. Well, this, his actual brother and that lady's actual brother are both like, that's not me. The, the lady's actual brother is like, that's not me. <laughs> I'm not holding those people hostage. And then this guy, um, Akram's brother comes out and is like, my brother is like mentally unwell. He, um, I, I have it in here and I'll talk about it more later, but he, um, got recruited by this kind of like brainwashing group. Um, and his, his brother has like alerted like authorities much earlier in the day that his brother is mentally unwell. So authorities are aware of this. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so this is going on. Like I said, this started like, I want to say like around 10 or 11 in the morning. Um, food gets initiated, a hostage gets released, um, early evening. And then finally, um, at 9 p.m. or around 9 p.m., they're enjoying their pizza. <laughs> I don't know if they were enjoying it, but uh, Jeffrey Cohen was like, we were hungry. So I'm like, I imagine. Um, I don't know how it'd be to like have food on your mind in that situation. I, I truly can't imagine what it was like to be in their shoes. Um, right? And so, um, but I think, like, their relationship with the, uh, with their hostage taker was just so fickle that they were, like, I don't know, because he was, like, implying that he was hungry. And so, what happens is right around nine, um, Akram asks the rabbi if he could get him some juice. And so, the rabbi goes and gets him some juice and him and Cohen kind of make eye contact. Like they're like, okay, we're going to catch him here. Like they're both thinking to themselves, like this is our chance. <clears throat> um, and Cohen even says like, at no point did him and the rabbi actually talk to each other. They both just kind of knew that it was about to be the moment to act. So he gives him the juice. 
And he gets kind of like laissez-faire with the gun. He he uses a gun to keep him held hostage throughout this whole ordeal. He also threatens to bomb the place, but I'm not certain if he actually had any like bomb materials. Um, but he did have a gun. He kind of becomes like laissez-faire with the gun. And um, the rabbi takes this moment to throw a chair at him. And there's actually a video. I'm not sure if it's linked in the show notes. If it's not, you can definitely find it on YouTube where he throws the chair and then you can see them run out of the synagogue. And so if you watch that video, what is happening with the SWAT cars while they're running out? They're kind of chilling. They are chilling. Yes. uh, Like the the thing you see is like I think up in the if you split it into thirds, both you know horizontally and vertically, it's like in the upper right that you can see them escape through a side. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 that might not be the best video. There, there's one that's like a lot better where it's literally like this military camera or something not military SWAT team camera like caught them running out (laughs) and so what happens after that is then you you kind of so they run out and you see the SWAT team like this guy like is literally trading places with another guy and I think you might even hear him say like holy shit or something like that (laughs) like he sees the guys run out like the SWAT team that you see in the video clearly looks so, like, like shocked. They're like, oh, shit, they did it. <laughs> it's like they're frost, but they're also like, okay, like, we didn't have to do our jobs. <laughs> but then what they decide to do is, and I don't think they have this on video or if there is, I couldn't find it. Maybe it exists. But shortly after the um, hostages run out, the SWAT teams run in, and Agram is shot multiple times and killed. Wow. That's... I can only imagine how it was going to end, so... But... (laughs) So what happens is, um, after the hostages are, are freed... To on their own accord, like they are so sweet and they thank the police for coming. Um, but like, I don't know, I feel like those men should have more ownership over that because, like, hell yeah, <laughs> and they did it without murdering him. <laughs> and that's a problem. So, the FBI director who's in charge of this, I'm not sure if I have his name in here. I should have, but honestly, I don't even really care about what it is. Mr. DeSarno, I think. I only have his last name. <laughs> we don't care. Oh, no. Christopher Ray was the bureau director that was in Texas. Um, and so he does this press conference and tells this miraculous story about the rabbi throwing a chair and escaping and makes the claim that almost simultaneously the SWAT team obviously was unaware of the hostages plan. And so they claim that it was just an almost simultaneous plan where the SWAT team just ran in minutes after the hostages escaped like, he literally says, like, it, it was just, like, a coincidence or something like that. Like, he he just so heavily implies that these plans 
we're going to go into place at the same time. And it pisses me off because if you watch the video, that's just like so apparently not the case. <laughs> yes! <laughs> And they're like obviously, like when you're in a hostage situation like that, there's only so much you can do until you know the time comes and you have to breach. But like, yeah, definitely caught off guard. IMO. Like, I'm not sure like what the measure of a quote unquote like a block is, but I would gander that they were like a block away from the synagogue. Right. <laughs> Nowhere close to running into this place. Sure, they had their guns pointed at it. <laughs> But they weren't, like, they were not about to run in here. So, uh, these people in the synagogue, one, I think they deserve a lot more credit than they're getting. Um, I do think that, uh, like, they were commended, don't get me wrong. But I feel like they're being uh, commended in a way where, like, the police have kind of, like, reclaimed the story as their own. They're calling it a success. Um, the police call it a success. The FBI calls it a success. And the hostage rescue teams call it a success. And I'm like, at no point were any of those groups successful. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like... They were successful in securing the area, I guess. Sure, and they did. They had people leave their homes and evacuate, sure. But like... For the situation at hand and the information that they were eventually ultimately armed with, my first question and something that I have not read anywhere is as soon as they learned that this guy had mental health issues, why wasn't a social worker brought into the picture or like a counselor or someone who deals with people who are in crisis? Because it seems to me that this guy had just somehow like... What's a good word for when you just kind of reach your ultimate point and you kind of breaking point? He reached a breaking point in his life. And this was his reaction to it. He, you know, and that's what also frustrates me is because if you watch the interviews with the hostages and they tell you like, yeah, there's hours where he was like docile and fine. And I'm like, did you get to know this man? Like... I'm just like, and then for him to just be shot, like, don't get me wrong. I do not think that the hostages had any obligation to help him or save him or anything like that. Their obligation was to themselves and each other. No argument there. But what I don't agree with is just this instant, like, okay, they're out. Let's go in and kill this man because at the end of the day, what this is at the crux of this is a mental health issue. If, you know, this had been a church and that guy had been Jewish, it wouldn't have been, like, turned into this. It would have been a mental health issue. And the fact that the story is repeatedly over and over and over being identified as a success is the wrong narrative. Like... Yes. And and personally, I think the hostages would be inclined to agree because it's it's not belittling, but it's um taking away from what they did, what they accomplished. Right, right. And if these SWAT teams and things hadn't even been there, like 
I don't know what would have happened to the synagogue and that anything that would have happened to that is sad, but I can't think that it would be more sad than someone being murdered. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, all that to say, um, all that to say this, so this situation was labeled by the FBI. Um, I think I might have mentioned this already, but it was labeled as um, a hate crime as well as a terrorist act. Um, and while I'm inclined to buy into any arguments someone could make that that would be the case, I just am not inclined to believe that that's what is at the heart of this issue. And I think that at the end of the day, those labels are a problem because like I gave that example earlier, like this could have happened by anyone who has a mental health issue. And for this to be how something like that is handled is just extremely concerning to me, especially seeing as we live in a society here in America where we don't have free health care and we don't often have access to mental health services and, and things that people need. And it just breaks my heart to think that like, you know, almost anyone I know could hit that breaking point and commit an act that they maybe end up regretting. And it's like, I don't want them to be gunned down by authorities that we are supposed to trust and who are supposed to protect all of us, not just those of us, you know, deemed protectable. You know, uh, something that you made me think of just now was... I guess they've started to do this program where they have a peace officer or, you know, a police officer. A peace officer, police officer. Huh. It's weird. Uh, but they'll have, like, a, a social worker along with Yes. Them. And I work for the school of social work at ETA, and they have a very similar program. Yeah. They kind of filter them into police departments, and that's, like, where they intern or whatever. Um, and so... Yeah, that, that's just something that like popped into my head whenever you were talking just now. Um, and this story could have been labeled as something very different from what it is. Exactly. And that's my point here is like, yes, there is a history here, but that shouldn't be what this is about, in my opinion. Um, I think that um, there's, like I said, there's nuance to this and Anyone could reach a breaking point to where maybe it's it's not like this, but I'm just like, if this is a terrorist act, why the hell was January 26th and all those people who were there not labeled an act of terrorism? It hasn't been from what I've encountered, you know? Like, those people stormed the Capitol. They literally destroyed, like, political property and sure like i don't really give a shit about it but like to me you can't you can't play different sides in these things and that's ultimately what ends up happening and it's not right especially for people who are are mentally struggling what are your so i'm gonna go into some of the things i didn't know about this until i i did a little more research but what are your like initial reactions to what happened um you know i'm sure there's a lot that we don't know and that was kind of nuanced within the hostage situation 
Um, not even topics that like Mr. Cohen or, or Citroen Walker like could really relay because um, I don't unless they had a social worker's license like I don't think they would know the minutia of all of that going on and it is a shame just my thoughts off the top of my head that this is not an isolated incident incident when it comes to a topic that we're talking about, like it being labeled as a, like, it happens all the time when police officers they arrest somebody and they're acting erratic or whatever, like they're like episode or something and like, it's totally misconstrued um, and you know, such and such ends up getting shot and dies because of it. Um... It's interesting how many, one, how many stories like this go unbeknownst to us. Exactly. And two, actually I forgot what my two was, but uh, the, I don't know. What pisses me off the... I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like the, it's weird that the White House responded like... Like that, um, I it honestly, it's very conflicting for me because on a base level, yeah, it does seem like a terrorist incident, but you know, with all these added factors, like shit, I have a I have a mental illness, like shit, like you know, um, yes, gonna, same. What's gonna happen to me the next time I, I you know decide to be manic and you know do my thing? But that's not gonna happen, obviously. I'd be pretty on top of it, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It just concerns me. It concerns me, like the we talked about it earlier. The telephone game that happens um, once somebody hears something, they just gotta repeat it. And these networks and even the authorities and the situation kind of I don't know. We're set on one particular narrative and. It didn't lift from that. There couldn't be any other possibility that that could, you know, I don't know, be different in any way. The story be different in any way. It's just hard to kind of. It's concerning. Yeah, and and that's um, yeah. You made a lot of really great points, and I was just going to say it just pisses me off the um air of righteousness that comes from like the. Um, FBI director who spoke to the press, um, the police who spoke to the press, um, not the hostages. I give them a little more leeway. <laughs> um, but just like the righteousness, like the, like official authorities had in this just pisses me off because I'm like, oh, I just, I'm like, what, what gave you the right to murder that man? <laughs> I don't like with how he was like I don't know yeah I'll let you continue I, 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 I'm kind of mulling at the moment so some of this will probably sound a little repetitive I just kind of want to hit on some things um, so the uh, prominent rabbi that was in New York uh, is actually a woman her name is Angela Buchdahl Buchdahl I'm so sorry. I'm not sure how to say that. Um, and she is a senior rabbi at a central synagogue in New York. Um, 
the Mr. Akram, the hostage taker, he believed that she was one of the most influential rabbis. Um, And apparently he sort of relayed most of this information to uh, Citrin Walker, um, the rabbi at the Texas synagogue. I get the impression that most of his initial communication was with this guy. And then um, authorities kind of were the playing telephone with this information. Um, Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. He died from multiple gunshot wounds. That pissed me off reading that. I'm like, why were there multiple gunshots if you was the only one in the synagogue? That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, I would think, uh, <laughs> I don't want to assume, but I would think that, um, these would be well trained teams of people coming from DC. I wouldn't think that, you know, shooting a man four times would be necessary his manner of death was actually ruled as a homicide um by the tarrant county um medical examiner's office um and they uh i don't know i guess classify his time of death as being at 9 22 on saturday january 15th and (laughs) yeah a whole day And so, it's like I get it. Everyone involved was tired, but these hostages figured it out better than these authoritative teams did. And um, so, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, the rabbi was speaking with Akram throughout the whole ordeal, um, noting that Akram had said, like it was he himself, Akram, was the only one who needed to die. The hostages didn't even need to be harmed. Um, when he spoke with that rabbi in New York, that was when the information about the his sort of motivations for releasing the prisoner were revealed. He sort of let that be known to her and told her he wanted her to make that happen which I imagine is also um, almost just as traumatizing as being a hostage, trying to like have that pressure on you to feel like you have that responsibility to protect those people. So um, I didn't read anything from her, but um, uh, I'll keep an eye out if anything does come out from her. I think that would be really just kind of interesting to see her take on what happened. And for Akram, um, he revealed to the rabbi that in his mind, Jews were more important than everyone else um, in America and that America would do more to save Jews than it would for anybody else. I'm not entirely sure why he believed that. <laughs> it might have been when they started to think something was off. I don't know. Um, but... I do, again, think, though, that that idea was probably perpetrated to him through um, whatever extremist group he got a part of, as well as the media. I feel like um, there are are a lot of anti-Semitic websites and media out there um, with tons and tons of false information. Um, but, I mean, it's there. I feel like QAnon people are buying into it. The far right's buying into this sort of weird, you know, Jewish takeover conspiracy thing. I don't know if you've heard much about that. I didn't really 
go down that rabbit hole. I didn't really think it was necessary. It's not something I buy into, but, um, Akram did. And, but at the same time, understanding his background, we can see why. Um, and so I actually found, um, an interview where his brother, uh, his real brother, um, spoke to the press and, and sort of explained that his brother's, um, Malik Akram's fall into religious extremism began, um, in 2003. So he's been struggling with this for a long time. Um, he joined a particular, um, particularly extreme sect and his brother said the name of it is Tabligi Jamaat. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but apparently at one point Malik Akram, he, uh, gave them like $80,000 in cash or something, or he like burned it for them as a saying it was dirty money. Um, as like an act as like a religious act. Yeah. Like $80,000 just burning it up um so he was actually investigated so he uh this man um i am not sure if he was here on a visa or if he was a permanent resident i am um almost 90 percent certain that he was here legally however he was here but he um was here from england and um back in 2020 um uh, Britain, I guess, has this counterterrorism group, and they had actually um, been made aware of uh, Malik Akram's kind of extremism and had actually investigated him in 2020, but closed the case due to lack of evidence. Um, Akram was referred by this uh, government program, though, to do um, this sort of like re- habilitation i guess um and this program was called prevent which aims to dissuade people seen as vulnerable to radicalization and david who might you think would be most vulnerable to radicalization (laughs) oh ding 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 we have a winner um so yeah um so he so he was even involved in this group like people were aware of this guy too which is also just kind of weird to me. I'm like, so we knew about him. We knew he had these problems. We even tried to help him. But in like, they knew, obviously, this information came out. If England had this information, surely they would have related to us somehow, whether it was through this guy's brother or through authorities, like, look, we've looked into this guy. We've offered this guy help. He's, you know, mentally ill. He can't, you know, process, you know, what we've tried to help him with. You know, he hasn't taken it this far before. Like, I just feel like more should have been said in regards to that. Um, Let's see. Oh, I guess... um, yeah, there's just more uh, sources that say this guy had kind of had anti-Western ideals and conservative Islamic views. Um, and so that just all kind of goes back to him being required to participate in that program and to help people. Um, and American and British authorities are continuing to investigate the situation to determine whether more 
could have been done to identify the risk posed by Agram in time to prevent the attack. And I just think the way that that is put and the conclusions that are being worded as such are just sad because at the end of the day, we know what was at the heart of this. David pointed to it. Um, and it's not that I don't think, um, if, if you have, um, like I'll, I'll, I have a uh, depression and anxiety and I'm not trying to say that if I am, you know, with depression, it kind of makes it difficult to do certain things. So, um, yeah, like, like it's on me if I fall through on a commitment because of depression, like I should be held accountable if I was supposed to, you know, go to an event for work or something and I just didn't show up. You, you do have to be held accountable for your actions, but at the same time, knowing this man's history and having an idea of just who he was, where his motivations were coming from, I, there had to have been a way everyone could have made it out of this alive. And I just refuse to believe otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of information with this. And I think that, I don't know. I, I actually, I'll save it for my takeaways. I, I think it's probably the best place for it. Um, Shannon, I, I know we went through a lot of information, but do you want to jump to our conspiracy corner? Yeah, I mean, we've kind of already covered the conspiracy in itself anyways. Like, the fact that you can watch this video where this FBI director stands there and tells the audience, the press... Um, that the plan for the um, SWAT team to enter the building happened near si- nearly simultaneously as the hostages made their plan. He says that in the video, and I just think it's clear as day that that is not true. I think that um, I and and you know if it was, I'd be interested in like who else would have died because I I don't see that as having gone well. Um. Uh, and I think at at the end of the day, that's all that needs to be said there, that if this was a simultaneous plan, those hostages would probably also be dead. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> at least, yeah, one of them. Yeah, I can only imagine. For me, I... A lot has run through my mind in this, this episode. But I think, for my takeaway, I think it's important to note, not necessarily the... Muslim versus Judaism slant or, or things like that. I think it's about the media. I think it's about the media and how they portray things and, and things like that. My mind only jumps to, like, what if, you know, the authorities had, like, because he was in, you know, the sideline of authorities for yeah. a long time. Doing something about that, be it, you know, taking him in, giving help he needs, blah, blah, blah. That's where the story would have been different. Like, we we would have maybe saw a blip of it on, like, CNN or something. Like, oh, you know, somebody, you know, helped the former terrorist or something like that. You know, like, who, know, who knows what kind of fucking headline they would come up with. Oh, that is so true. But... Nonetheless, this game of telephone is very, 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 very dangerous, and which is why I want to, especially going into you know the the rest of our lives after this podcast, I think it's important to note that 
I think I even said it in a previous episode that your research is important. Like I think that I I am a gullible person in general, and whenever people tell me things that sound right, I'm like, fucking a man, like that's fucking intense. Like okay, you know, I I can't even think of an example like off the top of my head. The only one I can think of is like, oh, there's something on the ceiling. I'm like, huh, you know, like look up like a like a I don't know. But nonetheless, that is a very dangerous game to play because when it involves people, involves their beliefs, that's when it starts to get it. And then you bring in family who who have been saying the same things. That's when it gets dangerous because a lot of hearsay comes into play and you think you know the story, but you don't. And that's just not true in the public eye, but it's also in the private eye. So it's like, you know, it's kind of hard for me to... Uh, th- that's my takeaway, is what I'm trying to say. But, I don't know. What do you think? So we didn't do our... I, I realized I didn't do a thinking cap question, but you made me think of one for you yeah. through that. Um, and it's something I didn't even really think about until you t- said your takeaway. But, so... Because of advances in technology, the story was told in real time. If this had happened 30, 40 years ago, that may not have been able to be possible because we didn't have internet. We didn't have a way to just like automatically, automatically instant upload what's happening. Do you think that that is, um, something that benefits society that we can get news in real time or is it detrimental because we're not getting the full story? I I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing because, like, for example, in this situation, like, the live stream gave a little tiny, I don't know, inkling into his thoughts and, and things like that. And, yeah, with the hostages in particular, it's hard to say because, like, you know, that would have just been kept to them until they got out of there. I mean, they didn't have their phones, so it still was. Yeah. I Now that you make that point, I'm inclined to agree with you because if it weren't for the sort of instantaneous video, like when something happened, uh, I mean, we wouldn't even really have an argument here that the SWAT team was not about to enter this place when the hostages were freed. Um, and there is video of that that wouldn't necessarily exist if it weren't for technology. So I am inclined to agree with you. But... You, you do make a very good point that it is not just accepting an initial narrative, but exploring the facets of it. Um, y'all will hear this again on the next episode, but I was telling David earlier that I read on Wikipedia that Michael Bay directed the first Scott Milk ad, and I read that on Wikipedia, and I was like, that is not true. And I like found like three different articles confirming it before I believed it. <laughs> but it's like... When I when I saw that originally, I was like, "See, this is the total." I was like, "That is a great like Wikipedia rickroll." Like, there's no way that's true, but that's hilarious. But it turns out it is. We'll talk more about that next time. But yeah, I mean, that's just such. It's something interesting to think about, and I think um, 
you hit the nail on the head. This doesn't come down to religious differences, although those do exist. And I think that those are important for us to learn and know about, not only for a historical context, but for a current context. Um, and I think it is important for this particular situation. Um, like I mentioned at the very beginning of these episode, David and I don't necessarily subscribe to Judaism or um, Islam, but um, I do think understanding that history is important for understanding the players' perspectives, particularly the hostages who, um, you know, no doubtedly are going to be bias like they are attacked not only are they feeling attacked they are literally being attacked so i don't want to invalidate any feelings trauma or whatever that those hostages um have come away with this i think you know their feelings are absolutely valid um and understandable given the context but um that being said if you watch uh particularly the video with the rabbi he um, and I'm, I'm inclined to give the rabbi a little bit of leeway since he is a religious figure. I would expect him to have a little bit of, um, mental health understanding just because you're going to encounter that in your congregation. So when he identifies Akram as being, you know, um, having a mental illness and that being a parent, I think that just goes back to like, man, if you are even able to point that out, in a press conference after your experience, like, how is that not what's at the heart of this problem? Right. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Sure, I think we gave the audience a lot, a lot to We did. Um, we did. Yeah, I think it was great. I think it was a great episode. It, you know, it started off as something, honestly, like to how the story went. It started off as something... Jumpy. Cute, and then it started off as something, you know, what we thought was very baseline, but yeah, completely and that's why I needed to talk about it. <laughs> and I knew, I knew that was why. I, like once I read the outline or whatever, I knew that's where you were going with it. And so, appreciate. And I appreciate you for being willing to have this conversation. And I feel like if anyone you know wants to give their own perspective or corrections, um. You know, those are welcome. I do want to mention, um, I didn't mention it throughout the episode, but on um, both the rabbi and um, the vice president of whatever, Jeffrey Goet, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're vice president of, but I read that. <laughs> they both uh, uh, mentioned that they had organized trainings for their synagogue um, for these particular instances. And I think they probably weren't just limiting it to these kinds of extremists, but just general kind of like schools have drills. Yeah, like you say, it kind of back to what we do Exactly. So this was more like emergency preparedness trainings, like like they learned like, um, you know, how to remove yourself from like the um like a harm's way sort of thing like like they literally had like training for a situation like this um and i i don't think it was recent i'm not trying to say like they just had this training so they were ready this is a whole conspiracy no um 
I mean, as a synagogue, it makes sense that you would have these sort of, you know, emergency preparedness trainings. Um, the synagogue looks to be like, it, it seemed pretty big. I know one of the news uh, videos mentions how big it is. Um, so, so it just makes logical sense that they would have some of these trainings and, um, they did attribute that to being a significant reason why they were, um, able to escape and make it out. Um, and I, I thought that was really interesting. I've read and seen quite a few, um, videos, um, suggesting, you know, um, as safety measures, if you're going to have an event to live stream it, um, that allows more people to be able to call for help if something happens. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, 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 there are takeaways here that are, you know, legitimate things you can do, like these trainings, um, and actions you can take, such as, you know, looking into causes, donating to, um, counseling, social work resources. Um, so it's, it's all the sides. Right, right. Wow. Wow. Shit. Um, I think that was great. I think that's a great place to kind of wrap it up at. I, I do too. Um, so um, thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of Into the Zeitgeist. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to consider supporting us, uh, consider going to our Patreon.com. Or, oh my God. Consider going to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash WDM1. Also consider joining our Facebook and Instagram pages to know when new episodes go live. Uh, also, consider like, rating, and reviewing our uh, podcast, and maybe even sharing it with a bud or two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shannon, I think we we talked a we talked. <laughs> I say a little bit of what we're doing next week, but we are doing God milk next week. Uh, I I am super excited about it. I'm ready to talk about whole milk for like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ready to go talk about it too, and I've got to go learn what milk is made of. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Bye. The Zeitgeist is a bi-weekly podcast recorded in the DFW, Austin, and San Antonio areas in the state of Texas. The podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by me, David Lonnie Waters. My co-host and researcher for the show is Shannon Boffman. As you know, all of our shows are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash WDM1. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and for that, we're stoked for your sponsorship. Lone Star Aeronautics, Sharon, and Keegan Gunther.